Welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast, brought to you by Cornwall Wildlife Trust. Today we have a special episode featuring two guests. Later in the show we'll be hearing from Dee Reeves, who's been a trustee of Cornwall Wildlife Trust for nine years and is retiring from her position soon. But first, we have an interview with our new Chief Executive, Matt Walpole, to find out about his background and why he's excited to be returning to Cornwall to join Cornwall Wildlife Trust. Matt, welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast, and more importantly, welcome to Cornwall Wildlife Trust. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Tom. It's really great to be here too. Well, and I understand that this is actually a return to Cornwall for you. It is, yes. Um, I... We, we as a family moved to Cornwall when I was a small child, so I grew up here uh, initially in Nilugan and then we moved to Idruth. Uh, and I was here right through until I left for college, so it's definitely the place I call home. Right, so what are you looking forward to about coming back to Cornwall then? Oh, well, surely the best thing is being able to go to the beach any day of the year, and particularly in the winter, you know, when it's wilder and more empty. Uh, yeah. we, we've been living inland for many many years so and that's you know the, the coast the beach that's something that i've always associated with cornwall um but you know that the that wildness you know the landscapes moors the woods you know i spent a lot of time banging around in the great outdoors as a child here and coming back to that and experiencing that something that's familiar that's so familiar as part of your upbringing i think uh, is is very very special and the chance to come back and work somewhere you know that means something like that to you yeah, can't be beaten. Great. And let's think about your childhood a bit more. Was that when you got into wildlife? Has it been a lifelong interest for you? It's an interesting question, that. I mean, as a child, I wasn't, um, I wasn't a, a born naturalist, if you like. It was never something that, that, that really you know, grabbed me. In fact, as a child, I was probably more interested in things like Star Wars. Mm. But, um, I, you know, again, I spent a lot of time outdoors, whether that was camping in the woods or sailing up creeks or bungling around on sand dunes, whatever it might be. Um, and so you get that affinity then, I think, uh, to, to, to nature through that, through that osmosis, if you like, rather than through, you know, sort of books and magnifying glasses. Um, and combine that with, I guess, a growing awareness of the fragility of nature, the okay. challenge. So, you know, when I was growing up, um, one of the things that I really recall the fact that, that there were no longer chuffs in the county, you know, the, the county bird, the national bird, wasn't there, it'd gone. Uh, sewage and pollution on the beaches, you know, and, and stories in the news about whether it's, you know, the fact that we'd punched a hole in the ozone layer or the whales or the rainforest needed saving. You know, that kind of sense of, okay, um, we've got to do something about this. And I think, you know, that, that um, probably is where it started. It sort of, you know, got into, got into my blood at that point. But... At that point, I had no idea that you could build a career around something like that at all. So what, what did you study at university and what, what was it that led you into conservation then? Yeah. So um, I always was going to be doing some kind of a scientific subject uh, when I went off to college. But at the time that I went, I, I didn't know which way I was going to go. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a place in Cambridge. And the course I studied there, Natural Sciences, it's very much a modular course. So it gave me the opportunity to choose and see what it was I was interested in. But at school, the things I'd really enjoyed were, were those field trips, the geography field trips up onto the moor, biology field trips, doing, you know, counting things on, on the coast. Um, and so it was that, you know, outdoors whole organism rather than lab-based side of science that, that really grabbed me. Okay. And in Cambridge, 
there was a there was this thing called the Explorers and Travellers Club. It sounds very anachronistic now, um, which, along with you know very generous college travel bursaries, uh, meant that a, a bunch of us were able to turn an idea to go to the jungles in Borneo into a reality. So partway through my course there, we went off and spent two or three months in Indonesia, in Borneo, uh, upriver in the jungle, counting uh, and looking at insect communities and the effects of local shifting cultivation and uh, logging on, on insect communities. Um, and that was probably the first time I really got a sense of the possibilities. You know, that, that formed the basis of my, my, my end of year dissertation. It was formed the basis of the first scientific paper I got published. Um, and it, and it, it, it opened my eyes to the fact that hey, there's a huge world out there of possibility, but also that, that maybe, maybe uh, you know, conservation research, figuring out what was happening and what we could do about it, might, there might be a way forward in that. Right, so it was a really defining moment, really, yeah. that And a very cool, cool yeah. thing as well, as you can imagine. <laughs> so what happened from there then? So kind of, I guess, having, having you know, had that, that light bulb moment, I, um, I decided I really needed to get myself to Africa. You know, the, the large mammals, the savannah, that was, you know, those things were in my head. So I worked for a bit um, and I got on a plane and I went to southern Africa and hitched around and I met lots of people in national parks and safari lodges, uh, really with a view to what could I do here, how can I help? And, and most people said, well, why don't you go back to the UK, find some money, uh, maybe do a master's and then, um, and then, and then, and then come back and, and we'll see what we can do. And so I, I, I did, in the end, I, I, I ran out of money, I came back to the UK, um, I got in touch with uh, an institute, a conservation institute at the University of Kent, and I was fortunate to be offered a PhD place to look at how wildlife and nature-based tourism played a role, both in terms of supporting conservation, but also supporting local communities and economies around national parks and wildlife areas, uh, which was, again, an extraordinary opportunity and privilege to do that. And it became the start of almost 10 years for me of, of, of doing conservation-related research into those relationships between people and parks and wildlife, uh, looking at and dealing and exploring the, the, some of the conflicts that emerged, particularly with large large animals, dangerous animals, destructive animals, you know, elephants raiding crops and lions taking livestock, you know, how do you deal with those kind of things? And how can something like tourism as an economic opportunity bring some benefits uh, to, to those communities and support you know, the, the continuation of, of wildlife and nature in those places? So quite relevant to Cornwall, really. Not, not the elephants, <laughs> but the tourism. Yeah, so. Very much so. And it would be really fascinating to see you know, where some of those connections could be made. Yeah. yeah. So wh where did life take you after that? So at that point, um, and I had a lot of fun doing that, I have to say. Uh, you can imagine a lot of time, in, particularly in Africa, but also in Asia. Um, wonderful people, wonderful places. But I began to feel like uh, where I was heading was somewhere where I could be a little bit more hands-on than perhaps doing that academic research, however applied it might be, um, you know, could give me. And so I began to think, okay, um, I need to look at the charity sector, look at where there might be opportunities there. And that, that took a while, I'll be honest. But eventually, eventually I got offered a job uh, with an organisation based in Cambridge called Fauna and Flora International, which is a, a UK-based but international wildlife charity, which allowed me to put into practice, you know, so many of those things that I'd been studying for so long, um, which was great. And that was first 18 years ago that I joined FFI and I've been working on and off for conservation organisations in and around Cambridge and internationally pretty much ever since. Right. Which has been extraordinary. 
And, and so actually, as you look at your career so far, what's been the most special or exciting thing to have been involved in? I'm sure there are loads, but can you, can you pick one thing? Oh, it's been such an amazing journey in so many ways. Um, they've been, I mean, really, really important things. Um, one of them uh, for me was, was an opportunity to coordinate the first assessment in the UK of the value of nature to society, uh, which, you know, that 10, 11 years ago formed the basis of so much you know, current policy and legislation and funding around nature and, and our understanding of, the, of, of those values of nature and, and how they support our society and what we need to do about it. So that was, you know, for me, really, really significant and great to do something on home turf. Um, special, uh, being based in Cambridge for many, many years, uh, quite a number of conservation organisations there uh, came together with the university to create a collaboration, the Cambridge Conservation Initiative, it was called. Um, and they, we uh, created a campus in the middle of, of Cambridge in an old building, which David Attenborough lent his name to. And so for a period of time, you know, he came and opened that, and he would come regularly and attend events and things. And you can imagine how, how inspiring that was um, you know, for, for, for all of us involved in conservation in, mm. in, in, in Cambridge at the time. But if you were to say to me, what's perhaps one of the most special things in terms of conservation impact? Um, again, with Fauna Pro International, I was lucky enough to connect for, for, for a while with some work in the Caribbean, which is all about restoring island nature. So those islands in the Caribbean, like in so many places, really struggle with invasive species, rats, mice, goats, whatever it may be. And yet, um, if you can get those things off, you know, and with uh, rats and mice, it's often trapping. With the goats, it was actually taking them off by helicopter. Really? If you remove the pressure, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Move the, the pressure of those things, and the, the, the nature on those islands bounces back extraordinarily. And you can go from what appears to be a barren rock to uh, an oasis. Wonderful. And you have very, very endangered endemic species, lizards and things, which you'd hardly see, and then suddenly they're, they're everywhere, like a plague. Uh, and that, again, to the, the my colleagues who spent years, you know, going from island to small island, small island, doing that tough, tough work. But when you see the results so rapidly, it's really inspirational. And we started to look at how could you take that work on those small off islands and bring it to the, the mainland islands like St Lucia and, and, and Antigua and those places. So some really big long term plans began to be hatched about how you could do that piece by piece. And we worked with, um, with various organisations, including a, an organisation in the US which Leonardo DiCaprio supports to come up with some very ambitious funding plans to be able to support that kind of work. And seeing, I suppose for me, it was seeing nature recovery in action. You know, we, we spent so long, um, if you like, trying to hold back the tide, protect what's left, and yet seeing that actually you can intervene and things would really bounce can back. recover, yeah. Hugely optimistic, hugely powerful. Yeah. And for me, that, yeah, that was a real turning point. So a great, great career so far. Let's now think about the future. What do you think is the most urgent issue globally? So globally, it's got to be, you know, how do we rebalance our society and our economy you know, with, with the realities of a finite planet? You know, we, we, are, um, we are taking so much from nature and we are ultimately, as a species, we're living beyond our means. And we know that and we can see that happening mm. in front of us. We've got the evidence. We know what we need to do about it. And the question is, you know, whether, whether we can, whether we will. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's huge. And, and when you look at it, you think about, you know, the, the ecological emergency, the climate emergency, you know, the, the pollution, degradation, everything that's, that's, that's happening. Um, all of that is a symptom of that, you know, lack of balance that we have with nature. 
Um, and as we think about what we do, you know, it, that, that, that issue of the recovery of nature is so much at the heart of that because nature, you know, it's the foundation for our societies and economies. We know that we're part of nature, even though we may have become unbalanced from it. Mm. What do we do about that? That, that, I mean, that's the big picture for yeah. us, without a doubt. Well, let's, let's think a little more small picture now, particularly about conservation in Cornwall. Completely appreciate you haven't got your feet under the table yet, but yes. what, what do you feel in the early days? What, what do you think senses the urgent priority here? Yeah, well, um, so in the UK, you know, we are, um, and we have to say this now, we, we are a world leader in nature depletion. You know, we, we've, we've lost so much and we've got so little left. And you know, for all its wildness, that goes for Cornwall too. You know, look at the, the, the Cornwall State of Nature report that the Wildlife Trust recently released. You know, it's, it's telling us that things are still going in the wrong direction. Um, so it's all about reversing that. You know, yes, there's some wonderful stuff that we've still got that we need to manage and protect, but that restoration piece, that recovery piece, that's where I can see really huge potential. And if we're going to do that, it's not going to be just you know, organisations, specialist organisations like the Wildlife Trust. It's about how we get everybody involved in that, you know, whether it's landowners or fishermen or council or whoever it might be. Um, everybody seeing, understanding, and collectively committing in some way is what makes a real difference. And, and I think for me, that's why the Wildlife Trust's goal, one of the Wildlife Trust goals, which is you know, one in four people taking action for nature, is such an important part mm. of what we do. You know, it's very easy to focus on goals around specific species and specific habitats, but this is a collective effort you know, to come back to like global point. And that, I think, right now, of course, we are moving into what we are in the midst of, a really challenging time for so many people, for all of us in many ways. So being able to achieve that is that much harder. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to do it because it's almost all that more critical that we do. It, it sounds to me like you, you have a sense of optimism and hope in your voice as you, as you say these things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, there's always hope, isn't mm-hmm. there? Um, and let's look at it. I mean, my, in my lifetime, it's been the period of greatest awareness, I guess, of, of the environmental crisis and the challenges we're facing. But it's also been the period of greatest decline, you know, greatest pressure and impact. And that, that can be incredibly demoralising. You know, in this period that I've been involved in conservation, I set out to try and make a positive difference. And yet you, see, you still see things going so horrendously in the wrong direction, you know, whether it's on a large scale in terms of what's happening to, to you know, significant places like the Amazon, whether it's on a small scale in terms of what's happening to individual species. Um, friends of mine, uh, when I was in, in Kenya, were working, um, spent many, many years trying to protect the northern white rhino, which is a subspecies in Africa, um, the last population, which is in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in, in the middle of ultimately a war zone. And because of that insecurity and that challenge, they, they failed to do that. And the last of those animals were moved to Kenya, to a fence sanctuary, which an organisation I was working for uh, was very involved in. And ultimately that failed too, because in 2018 the last male died and that, 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 that animal went functionally extinct in the wild. And, and that's, you know, you think that happened on our watch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, for all this momentum, you can feel like, you know, we're, we're, are we losing the war here? But there are battles we're winning. And increasingly that's what you see. You start to see that, those, those, those real sparks of possibility so to take you know, another rhino in that part of the world, the black rhino, which you know, declined by 95% over the course of a couple of generations, um, in the last 25 years, it's doubled. Its population has doubled in Africa. That's a success. 
We're seeing similar things with, with tigers in parts of Asia beginning to come back. And once you start to add up all those, those little success stories, and once you start to look at all the innovation that's coming in to conservation, the new ideas and new ways of restoring things, when you start to see companies and the finance system beginning to recognise their impacts and dependencies on nature and beginning to commit to things, okay, we, we, the war is not won, but you can start to see you know, that actually maybe the time is right now to really push things forward. And that's why I think it is an incredibly uh, exciting time to be involved in conservation, but it's also what gives me real hope. Uh, and I suppose it comes back to exactly what you're saying, which is it's about empowering people and, mm -hmm. and asking people to take action. And if someone was listening to this and, and thought, well, actually, I want to do something, what would be your top three bits of advice for them? What could they do practically? Okay, three things. Well, the first thing is do something, do anything. You know, pick something that is meaningful to you and that can make a difference, however big or small. You know, it might be making some choices about what you buy or eat or how you travel that reduces your own personal footprint. It might be um, creating space for nature in your garden, in your community space, or volunteering for, 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 for a project somewhere. Or it might be simply writing to your MP or your local business and saying, look, this is what's important to me, this is what I need you to do about these things. Whatever it is, do something and keep doing those things. That's number one. Secondly, tell people about it. You know, talk about what you're doing with friends, family, colleagues, social media, whoever it might be. Because doing that, that's what will create the ripple effect. You know, inspiring other people with your actions might well just inspire them to take their own. And if we're going to achieve what we need to achieve, it needs everybody to play a role. So doing and then talking about communicating that, celebrating that, really, really key. Um, and then the third one, you know, join the movement. And, and, and join the Cornwall Wildlife Trust, if you can. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big, expensive thing to do, but being part of that, not only are you then supporting some great, innovative, impactful, important work in the county, but also you, you'll hopefully become part of something that will help inspire you and give you ideas and support and resources to do whatever it is you're doing. Um, and obviously I'd say that as the incoming Chief Executive of the Wildlife Trust, but I really mean it, and that's why I'm here. So. Yeah, those are my three things. Thank you. I want to um, ask probably what is going to be the most important question now, Matt, which is that let's imagine you're going to be stranded on our beautiful Lou Island Nature Reserve and you're allowed to take four things for a year. Um, you've got all the things you need, you know, food, water. So you're allowed to take a book, an album of music, you do get a record player, a luxury item and a year's supply of your favourite Cornish edible. What would be, what would be your four things? Should we well, start with the book? That's a great one. So I thought about the book, um, and you know, should you choose a particularly favourite book, um, or should you pick a book that you really want to read? A book that I recently bought, and haven't yet started, is The Summer Isles by Philip Marsden, who I believe is, is, uh, is, is, lives in Cornwall. And the reason I picked that is I've always loved travel books. Um, and, and that's a book you know, about a journey, a sea journey, and I've got a huge affinity for the sea, but it's you know, both a geographical and an emotional journey up the wild coasts of Ireland and Scotland and okay. from the southwest. And I think sitting on an island, stuck as I would be, that would be a great book to delve into. It's, as I say, it's the one that I'm, I'm about to kick off and start reading. So The, the Summer Isles by, by Philip, Philip Marsden. Marsden. Yeah. yeah. Your album? Album. This is really hard. How do you pick? Just How one. How do you pick something? 
Um, and I came back to, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming home to Cornwall and I'm thinking back to my earliest memories. And my earliest memory of music is dancing around my parents' gramophone to Simon and Garfunkel. Um, and so if everything I could choose, I thought, well, something by Paul Simon, you know, mm-hmm. the music, the lyrics are fantastic. So, so maybe it's that Bridge Over Troubled Water. Bridge Over Troubled Water. Like that. Um, yeah. A luxury item. It would have to be my banjo. Your banjo? My banjo. I spent 30 years trying to play it and maybe stuck on a desert island or a blue island would give me the time to properly finally get to grips with it. <laughs> so, so. Don't ask me to play. <laughs> and what about your Cornish edible? Oh, it has to be saffron buns. Saffron buns? Saffron buns, very definitely. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to having you here at Cornwall Wildlife Trust. What are you most looking forward to about joining? About joining the Trust is the possibility, Tom. I think the possibilities that are there to build on you know, these, these emerging and incredible successes. I was recently really lucky to go to visit the Cornwall Beaver Project, which the Trust is obviously very integrally involved in. And we saw a beaver in this extraordinary landscape. And of course, you know, we are we're sitting here having gone through you know, a period of drought and then you know, huge storms and the flooding that comes with that. And looking at what those beavers do in that valley, you know, the way they engineer their landscape to hold the water, it's dripping wet, but it's controlled. It's extraordinary. And the, and the, the, the nature that's coming back around, around those animals. I'd never seen a beaver before, and that was, that was great. Um, you know, the, the, the restoration work, like the seagrass work, down, you know, off, off Falmouth. There are all these things happening. Um, the work with communities to engage, work with farmers. And as I said earlier, it's it feels like such a positive time to be involved. And I'm really keen to see where we can take that. And perhaps you know, personally to see where my experience from elsewhere, from all over the world, maybe you know how I can use that in a role back here in Cornwall. It's the start of a new journey for me. Great. Well, all the best for your early days and weeks. We look forward to you starting soon. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. A pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Matt. To close the show, we're bringing you a short interview with Dee Reeves, who's been a trustee of Cornwall Wildlife Trust for nine years. I began by asking Dee how she became interested in wildlife. Absolutely life, and I'm a complete amateur. So it's like lots of people. Um, I spent a lot of time out of doors growing up. Uh, my father was an RAF pilot and his hobby was gliding and as a child I used to glide with him in open cockpit gliders over Salisbury Plain and my job was to look out for the thermals full of swallows, house martins and swifts because they knew where the best lift was. <laughs> and that was, I just developed this amazing love of birds. and and. On the airfield there, there were nesting lapwings and they would be there in their hundreds. And we would go out on a tractor in the morning and put old car tyres round the nests so that nobody landed on them and damaged them and that the birds were safe. Wow. And so I got to observe birds particularly. And one of the things I think I really want to say to people is those of us of a certain age remember when there was an abundance of wildlife. So there were hundreds of lapwings hundreds of curlew, probably thousands of swallows and swifts. I mean, the air, at times you could stand there and you would see literally like a black column. Now, we're counting them on the fingers of two hands. And this year particularly, I've hardly seen any. I've only seen about half a dozen swifts at any one time. And, you know, we have an obligation, I think, to actually help 
make sure, one, that things don't get any worse, but in the light of climate change and what's happening, that we do our very best for our young people to say, there's a wonderful world and it can be more abundant than it is and we've got to help make it abundant mm. again. And it may not ever go back to those levels. I mean, I was born in the very early 50s. It may not go back to what I remember in, you know, as a child, but we have, to, I think we have a responsibility to do that. And so that's where I'm very keen, one, to get involved, as many of our volunteers do, mm -hmm. two, to support it by being a member, but three, having been a trustee, putting in my two penneth, um, for, you know, to actually help the organisation do what it needs to do. Do all we can to, to head back in the direction of that abundance. Yeah, and that, yeah. you know, that's, that's all part of it. And for me now, because I'm retiring as a trustee, uh, after my nine years stint, so that's three lots of three years we're allowed to do. Mm. Um, I'm I'm very encouraged that the trust is in really good hands. There's some wonderful work being done, and these big issues are really being addressed. Um, but I feel I really do feel that I have a responsibility to leave something behind, and mm. that's where also I'm so keen on legacies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've seen the benefit that legacies, large and small, can have with any organisation. Mm. And I think that um, if I can leave anything behind, even if what I leave behind ends up being quite a small amount and is used to, um, you know, power a van that is going to go out and take a team of volunteers out to a reserve then I will be happy. Yeah, that's made the difference. Yeah. 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 Dee, thank you so much for all you've done as a trustee for Cornwall Wildlife Aww. Trust over the last nine years. And we're so pleased you've enjoyed it. And thank you for talking to us today. Well, it's been a great privilege being a trustee, Tom. Um, and I'm, I'm really encouraged to, by my fellow trustees, by the staff, the, their expertise, and the volunteers at the moment and I think as I said the trust is in very good hands and the wonderful thing about the newer trustees who've come on uh, since I came on board nine years ago is that they bring new skills and modern skills that um, those of us who are a bit older lack uh, just because it's a different era and again that's really essential if we're going to encourage young people uh, to get involved with nature and help protect it for the future. Yeah. yeah. Thank you yeah. very much. No, a great pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>